Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn. We are, of course, this is episode eight. Excuse me. Let me not shortchange myself. Episode 928 of the Real Deal Podcast. As we look at NFL week eight, we also have some NBA stuff as it was big news in the overnight. That was like some wild shit. You're waking up in the middle, waking up at like six o'clock in the morning and seeing uh, ESPN breaking news uh, about James Harden. But as always, we're going to begin with the themes. NFL Week 8, different seasons, same story. Uh, we'll talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, who are on the prowl once again as legit contenders. But first, we begin with all the thoughts. A win's a win. Um, the Buffalo Bills survive the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I should Maybe that's kind of harsh. They never were really threatened. Seriously, in this game, it kind of was like a a a, a slog. Uh, they were up twenty four ten, and Tampa Bay makes it close. Maybe and listen. I told somebody who had a, who had a betting interest to take the points. The points spread was nine and a half. I said the way Buffalo's offense has been playing Thursday night, you know these games can get can get uh strange. Take the points. Nine and a half is way too many points. And I was, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was almost wrong, but I was not. Uh, you know, they get this last meaningless touchdown, and uh, you know, cover the spread, but lose the game. Uh, but listen, this is a game. This, this is a part of the season where you see a number of top teams not playing great football across the board, uh, or playing their best football. Kansas City, of course, we'll talk more about them. San Francisco is in, in a losing streak right now, so. This is kind of like that part of the season where teams are trying to just push through uh, and make their runs for, for November and December. That's all there is to it. Uh, it is that, you know, that part of the season, that dead part of the season where I told you a couple of weeks ago where fatigue can, you know, could kick, 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 kick in, excuse me, and you get a situation where you have some upsets or you have teams playing down to the competition. Uh, henceforth, Philadelphia, Washington, and uh, and henceforth, Kansas City, Denver. But this game, listen, this game, uh, you know, Josh Allen, um, had a big game. Um, is still, I'm still not trusting the offense. And again, Tampa Bay, we I said this last week, Tampa Bay, that Tampa Bay was a legit threat to Buffalo because they have a very good defense, they do have a very good defense. Buffalo wasn't going to explode for 40 points against Tampa Bay's defense. Uh, Tampa Bay's defense is that good. Um, you know, Josh Allen did look better than he has in the past couple of weeks. Uh, not spectacular, but you know, made some plays. And again, their their offense is the Buffalo offense is nothing to write home about as far as creativity, as far as just um execution. They basically say, "Hey, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs." They depend. The problem with Buffalo's offense. Obviously, it you know they have we've mentioned this time after time with, with uh, a lack of like an identity, but they also have a lack. They also depend on their talent too much. They also depend on it to try to win games on just sheer talent. And eventually, the NFL is so spread out with talent, you're not gonna be able to do that. Like, yeah, you can you can have like this is not like the NBA where you can have a dominant team and where, you know, you can have like a, a team like Golden State in 2018 or 2017 and just be that much better than the league. That's That doesn't exist in the NFL right now. It just doesn't. Uh, Kansas City has the best player in the sport 
the best tight end in the sport, uh, a great kicker, one of the best defensive players in the sport, and they're still struggling to win games this year. Okay, like that. That's how the NFL is right now. The the, the talent level is so spread out. There's no team that is going to run away uh, with the NFL with this with the NFL. Now, again, as we get later in the season, we'll have contenders separate themselves. But you're not going to win games on just sheer talent consistently and expect that to carry you through as a long term plan. If you have any wishes of being a Super Bowl caliber team and making a deep run in the playoffs, and that's what Buffalo is one of Buffalo's problems. Uh, but again, they get the win. They, uh, they they do get the win. They improve to uh, five and three, um, a, a game behind Miami. But of course, we know they beat Miami earlier, so they have that going for them. Their next four games are are, are not easy by any stretch of imagination. You're talking about Cincinnati, which is a, one of the, which would be a very important, extremely important game for, for playoff position, home court at home, excuse me, home field advantage, and what have you. So Cincinnati, Denver, uh, the Jets, and Philly. Broncos, I would have said, you know, a couple of weeks ago it was a walkover, but the Broncos now have, will have some momentum coming off there, coming off a win against Kansas City. They'll be feeling good about themselves. And the Jets have played people tough all year long. Beat the, you know, beat, beat the Bills earlier this season in the opening game on Monday night. And of course, Philly is Philly. They are pop, they are the, you know, if, if we're giving them a, a power ranking who's the best team in the league right now. You would have to say is the uh, Eagles from top to bottom uh, with a seven, you know, the only team in the, in the NFL with seven wins right now. But if you are the Buffalo Bills, you take the win, you keep it moving, and you keep trying to find out, find your way from an offensive standpoint um, and try to, you know, keep, you know, hopefully have your defense can carry you along until the offense gets rolling again uh, over, this, over the course of the season. Games of note, uh, we mentioned this earlier. Uh, talk, we talked about this. Um, listen, Kansas City hadn't really been playing well, even though they were winning games. Uh, they had been playing great football. They've been winning, you know, with, you know, they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Travis Kelsey, they have Chris Jones. They have, you know, those are all, those are three top players at their respective positions. But the bottom line is, uh, they were due for a game like this. And again, you know, I know Denver has been some shit this year, but. We saw this in Philadelphia. We saw this in D.C. this this weekend. Playing your division opponent in a short time span, like two times in three weeks, or or basically that is not easy. I don't care how I don't care how bad I don't care how how much the the, the gap of talent is between the two teams. They know you. You see, you just saw each other, so you know trying to implement some new stuff in. Good luck with that. Um, so I think that definitely was a product of this game and just Kansas City just played awful, awful football. Uh especially offensively, by far their worst game uh, of the season from an offensive standpoint. Patrick Bones was terrible in this game. Uh Denver did enough offensively and they were able to come out with the win twenty four nine. And but it would have to be one of probably the biggest one of the biggest upsets of the season. I is again, as poorly as Kansas City was playing coming into this game. I had no faith whatsoever uh, that that I there's no way that I thought and I watched Denver I know Denver played them close relatively tough uh, Thursday prior last Thursday or the Thursday you know on Thursday night football but uh, even with that being said I I, I didn't did not, did not see this coming whatsoever uh, we know what the issues for the Chiefs are they're three let's 
take away Travis Kelsey. He is clearly their best receiver, but he's a tight end. In terms of the, at the, their top three receivers at the at that position, have combined this season total for eight hundred and forty nine yards. Kelsey has about five hundred and thirty eight himself. Uh, Tyreek Hill and I would say Tyreek Hill and both um, AJ Brown have more than that themselves by themselves this year. And of course, they've been spectacular. But their top is they have they're getting nothing out their receivers. There's, there's no separation. Uh, they have an okay running game. I know they have a great offensive line, but they don't. You know, they don't have uh, Derrick Henry in the backfield or a healthy or a Nick Chubb. So, you know, it's all like you know they're all doing. They, I mean, they've been doing it offensively, basically just Mahomes and Kelsey. That's it. And more times than not, that's going to be good enough. But in a divisional game, or even later on in the season, when you, when the competition when the competition ramps up, they're going to have to develop those receivers. Are going to have to step up. They're going to develop those receivers uh, in a big way. Now, I'm I'm surprised. I was shocked that there was not a move made uh, from them uh, to somewhat address that. Uh, they kind of stood pat. Um, so we'll you know again we'll see how that plays out, but. Those receivers right now just don't they they don't scare me wouldn't scare me at all like those receivers uh, like outside of Kelsey if I like I I I'm rolling all my coverage to Kelsey and saying you know okay I dare I dare any of these receivers to beat me please I, I dare please so uh, right now the offense is looking look as you know it's looking more extremely predictable again we're talking about Andy Reid's one of the greatest coaches ever the best offensive mind in football right now the best coach in the league. I have a feeling that him and Mahomes will figure something out um, before the season over. But right now, that offense is not looking uh, like a vintage by far, not even close to being a vintage Kansas City offense. And listen, maybe we'll see what Denver can do with this. I know statistically, this is where numbers can kind of be deceiving because their offense has been horrible this year. But statistically, you know, Russell Wilson has played well this season when you look at the numbers. Though, again, I, I, I... I would be careful about just looking at the numbers. You have to look at it, just looking at the sheer numbers. You have to actually watch the game because their offense have been horrible. But um, we'll see if Denver can build upon this uh, moving forward. Of course, um, one of the marquee, the marquee game of the day was uh, Cincinnati and San Francisco. And Cincinnati went to San Francisco and absolutely took it to the 49ers, 31-17. This game was about Joe Burrow. This game was about a team that, frankly, knows how to win. A team that has been in the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship the last two years. A team that has found this footing winning three straight games. And now, all of a sudden, they are back to being legit Super Bowl contending teams. And they are one of the scarier teams in the NFL right now. Joe Burrow was spectacular in this game. He may, at one point, he completed like 17 straight passes, completely just like undressed this 49er defense. I mean, just it was taking them apart. Uh, that was by far his best performance of the season, by far their best win of the season. And I told you, uh, uh, we would learn a lot from this game about what what direction that one of these teams' seasons is going to go into. Now, if San Francisco lost, I wasn't going to overreact too much considering that it's a – that would just guarantee that they're in a dogfight in the division, which they are. But if Cincinnati was able to win this game, that to me, I thought that that could propel them 
into making a major uh, run uh, down the stretch. And they, this was a big-time win for Cincinnati. They physically, again, very few teams are able to physically deal with San Francisco. San Francisco, along with Philadelphia, is one of the more physical teams in the league. Uh, not only did they, deal, not only did they, you know, stand pat, uh, go toe to toe with San Francisco physically, they really pushed San Francisco around and made San Francisco's uh, physicality a non-factor. Now, again, no Trent Williams in this game. In this game, one of the best offensive linemen in the league, uh, best tackles in the league, one of like one of the best players in the league. Period. Like he's that dominant. So I can't dismiss that. Um. I'm not listen, coming on San Francisco is easy. I'm not pushing the panic button panic button on San Francisco. They're just gonna be in a dogfight for that division considering how well Seattle is playing. Um and they probably won't they probably call I think cost themselves whole field more than likely, uh outright, uh with this type with, with this loss. But San Francisco is a veteran team. They'll be fine. We know that they can they know how to win on the road in the playoffs. They've won a number of playoff games over the last couple of years. This was about Cincinnati. This was all about Cincinnati. Joe Burrow has thrust himself back into the MVP race, in my opinion. And again, he looked like Joe Burrow in this game. Even the game, even prior games that they were winning, it was like, ah, okay, the defense is making plays. He's making a couple plays here and there, but he didn't look like, but he hadn't looked like a vintage Joe Burrow uh, that took him to the Super Bowl and that was that almost took him to the Super Bowl last year. This game, he looked like himself, and that, that is a scary proposition for the AFC because that again, that is this is a this is a big game team. This team knows how to win, and they're not afraid of anybody. They're not afraid. They went to Kansas City and won a, a they won in Kansas City Stadium a couple of years ago to go to the Super Bowl. They had they have no fear of no one. Their coach has no fear that we know they can construct a defense that can stop in a big game that that can that can contain any offense. So. This again to me, this was a very important game as far as the landscape of the AFC. Because now we have another contender to the party. Or welcome, welcome back a contender to the party. Also, for again, I mentioned earlier, Philadelphia took care of business against Washington, thirty-eight, thirty-one. A game that Washington had their chances, had the opportunities, in, uh, opportunities to, to to beat Philly. Be honest with you, uh, it got away late. Um, Sam Howell probably played his. You know, had made one mistake, but other than that, was played a spectacular game. Washington really played Philadelphia as tough as you can play them without winning, but came up short in both games. Of course, that first game in Philadelphia, they lost in overtime um, and blew a lead, and they blew a lead in this game. I don't win. I I don't make anything. I, I'm not knocking Philly for this game being close. It's a divisional game. Washington has played them tough the last couple of years. Uh, they know well, so Philly absolutely did what he what they had to do. Uh, you know, a road you would not toss aside, toss up. You would not give back road wins in the division. That's all there is to it. Hurts was spectacular again in this game. AJ Brown continues to play like everybody's talking about Tyreek Hill, and rightfully so. He's on pace for like a gazillion yards, on pace for like you know two thousand yards. But AJ Brown now has uh, six straight games of 125 yards, which no one in the history of the NFL has done ever. You're talking about not Jerry Rice, not Randy Moss, Marvin Harrison. Think about some of the great receivers we've seen in the history of this league, and no one is uh, – Calvin Johnson. No one has ever done that uh, in the history of the league. So he's playing at a, at a all-pro uh, level right now and just catching everything in sight, even passes that are not good passes. He's making. He's coming down with them. 
Uh, so yeah, Philadelphia does what they have to do, and they go into uh, they will go into the showdown with Dallas with a, with a, with a lot of momentum and uh, rolling at seven and one. Game of the week, uh, for the second straight time you have second straight week. I have, we have Cleveland this time on the wrong side of uh of twenty four twenty. This is a game easily Cleveland could have won on the road. Uh, Seattle did not play particularly well in this game, which you know. You know, that's good for them because, you know, they, they were not great in this game. We knew this was going to be a closely contested game. Uh, they were able to score with about a minute left or something like that, under a minute left. Uh, so they, you know, give, give Seattle a lot of credit. Um, Cleveland was able to run the ball. But again, you know, T.J. Walker, like, you know, you know, Cleveland has actually done a decent job, has done a very good job holding down the fort considering, you know, playing without Deshaun Watson. Uh, there was a thought we thought that he could come back in this game, but that was not the case. Um, they're good enough defensively and good enough to run the ball to be able to keep them in, in these games. And Miles, Miles Garrett, of course, is, is a monster. But uh, Seattle was, you know, again, Seattle did what it had to do. Uh, Seattle finds a way to win some to win these close games. And right now, Seattle finds himself in first place ahead of San Francisco again. That's going to be an absolute – that's going to be – it's going to come down to Seattle and San Francisco as far as – and their head-to-head as far as who wins, who wins that division because San Francisco with this three-game losing streak has put themselves in a compromising position to where they're going to have to fight to the nail uh, to win that division. And I don't expect Seattle to fall off. I think they're a solid team. Their quarterback is good enough in terms of Geno Smith, you know, Pete Carroll. Still, you know, Pete Carroll, you know, I know has had a rough couple of years as far as some of the deci- coaching decisions and things of that nature and some of the philosophy of, of the franchise in terms of direction. But you see, they seem to be clear on what they want to do uh, in terms of having an identity. And uh, they will be, uh, again, I don't think they're going anywhere as far as that division goes. I think Seattle is going to be in it for the, for the long haul for this season. Again, I don't have no faith in Seattle as a contender if if they if they do make the playoffs, I just don't. They don't have like Geno Smith can only take you so far, and the, and the personnel is okay, not great with versus those upper echelon teams in the NFC, Philly, San Francisco, even Dallas. They're not as good. Uh, they're not. I don't even think they're as good as Dallas, to be honest with you. And I probably would even take the Detroit talent over it. But Seattle is a team that knows how that finds ways to win. They you know they really. Are kind of jack like Jack the Jacksonville of the NFC. Uh, they they find ways to win, especially these close, closely uh, contested games. Who won the week? Um, Joe Burrow. Uh, he we know that at his best, he is a top quarterback in this league. He had not played like it in November, in September, and you know we talked about some. He had been picked up with some injuries, even going back to training camp. Uh, we wondered. You know some of the hits that he was taking. We wondered about just I, again. I there was a point in Seattle in, in Cincinnati's season where I thought that, despite what they did last year, they coming back from uh, a, a poor record. I didn't see that type of energy this year. I really had some major doubts uh, that that they could get back to this point and be be talked about again as a legit Super Bowl contender. But again, I was dead wrong. Because that team, they're right there. And he, this guy is the number one reason why they are right there. When he's playing at the level he's playing on Sunday, they can beat anybody in the league. They, they, they can beat anyone 
if he's playing at this particular level, which which he is right now over the last three games, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and uh, during the three game winning streak. And again, when he when he's when he's slinging it, like look out, because not only not only as a throwing. We know he can run as well. Uh, we know he's a legit running threat as well, and it's very judicious in terms of uh, he's not going to take he's not going to take a lot of hits. So he um, Joe Burrow at this level makes Cincinnati a team that no one I mean I mean no one not Kansas City not anyone wants to see that team in the playoffs. No one. We're gonna switch gears a bit. Um, go to the deep dive. Of course, James Harden is no longer a Philadelphia 76er. Uh, for the third time and basically in three years he's been moved once again uh, and and once again is not on good terms at all um, so just to give you the details of the of the trade you know if you hadn't heard or haven't you know not haven't heard but haven't really looked at the uh, at, at all the the deep minute details in terms of picks and stuff like that. All some of the stuff that people don't really care about, but that's actually important when, when you're looking at these trades. So Harden and PJ Tucker go to Philly, excuse me, go to the Clippers. Uh the Sixers get Covington, get Covington, Batum, uh KJ Martin, Marcus Moore Sr. A twenty six and twenty eight first round unprotected picks, which is huge. Which is I I can't emphasize the importance of them getting a twenty six and twenty eight unprotected first round pick. Sixers don't get Terrence Man. Clippers were able to keep him. Um. So normally, when the best player in the trade and he would buy far, despite what you may think of Harden, uh, and I'm not a Harden guy by any stretch of imagination, he is by far the best player in this trade. But just but but bear with me for a second. Normally, nine ninety nine percent of the time, I think that the team that gets the best player wins the trade. And normally, it's like, all right, yeah, you might got all these picks, got some good role players. They got Kevin Durant, or they got so and so. This case, this situation is, I, I, I couldn't be happier if I if I were a Sixer fan. Sixers clearly won this trade. Clearly, you get the two. First of all, it's addition by subtraction. You get rid of a guy that was a malcontent, a guy that bad energy, toxic, wanted no part of the locker room, and they wanted no part of him. To be honest with you, so that that's automatically addition by subtraction. Two, Tyrese Mac Tyrese Mac uh, Maxi is going to be an All Star this year. He's averaging coming into the night like thirty points a game, shooting fifty six percent. And again, it's only a three-game sample, but still, he's been great this year. He could be possibly even an all-NBA caliber player. Like he's only 22 years old. So you give him room to grow and get better, okay? And again, you get quality role players back. Covington, Batum, Marcus Moore Sr., Sr., those are, these guys have been in playoff games. Now, again, it's not – we know that they have, they have those three have some have limitations. Batum is, is basically is on his – I think he might retire. He's probably going to retire after this year. Marcus Moore Sr. and Covington are very, you know, decent role players, but not the kind of role players that are going to put you over the top. Like, let's not be crazy. Let's not get crazy from that standpoint. From that standpoint. But all of them have good contracts. And this is where this is where it gets kind of tricky for the Sixers 
clear-cut and tricky at the same time, they're in a position to where they will have sixty-six over $66 million of cap space come somewhere in 2024. Now, if you're the Sixers, you also have to convince uh, Joel Embiid that this is the place for you and you can win here. Because he could be the next superstar that can force a trade easily. Easily. Their best course of action probably would be to hold on to, to not trade for somebody in season, see how this team goes, see how this team, you know, play, you know, see how this goes with this team, keep all your assets, pick up a big free agent next year, which they will have to cast space to, and then go out and trade, and then go out there and possibly make some moves with, with, the, with the two draft picks that you have. That probably would be their best bet. But if they have to, then they might be in a position where they're going to have to trade, make an in-season trade, uh, depending on how it goes, uh, come, you know, whatever the trade deadline is. I think it's in March, late February, early March. I think late February. Yeah, I think I want to say early. I think it's, it's later than it's normally. It's probably in March. But they have a lot of options, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, perfectly honest with you. And, again, this is, a, I to me, I wouldn't have thought for them to get one first round pick was okay. That's one thing. For them to get multiple first round picks unprotected, unprotected, and again, that just shows you how desperate both of these teams were desperate. But the Clippers, yeah, you keep Terrence Mann, and the Terrence Mann can be a will be a very important player for the Clippers, especially in the postseason. We saw we've seen him have big postseason games uh, a couple years ago against Utah. So he's definitely, we know he's definitely not afraid at the moment. A very good player, very, very young player, uh, extremely uh, as a young player who is, is not afraid at the moment. I, I'm a Terrence Mann fan. So they, you know, they kept him. But you bring in a guy who it hasn't worked out anywhere he's been. Okay, it ended in Houston miserably. It ended in Brooklyn miserably, and it ended in Philadelphia miserably. James Harden has not advanced past the second round of playoffs since 2018. That's a long time ago. Remember that 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 seven game you know classic series against uh, Golden State, Kevin Durant. You know Kevin. You know when they went uh, Golden State went back to back, and probably Houston probably should probably should have won. So they have not. Um, you know they have not. Uh, He's not been past the uh, second round in, you know, in almost six years now. And again, this is a guy who he's shaping up to be one of the most toxic stars, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame players in recent memory in terms of how he's ended his career. Like, Alan, like I was thinking about this, like Allen Iverson, it didn't end well for Allen Iverson, who's a top 75 player. Great for up in '76, and of course, you know, uh, uh, iconic player as far as the culture. Uh, we know he met to the NBA, uh, and when he's so it didn't end well for him because he didn't, he wasn't willing to accept the role of, of being a role player. We saw how it went in Detroit and Memphis and what have you, but he wasn't toxic though. It wasn't like he was forcing himself off teams and doing shit like like he wasn't ruining teams' championship hopes, like James Harden has compromised back-to-back franchises championship hopes to where if he played better, they, like, Philadelphia last year should have been in the NBA Finals last year. There's not be my, like, Boston fell apart. 
Okay, they came apart against Miami. Miami, we know, overachieved. Milwaukee, of course, fell apart against Miami. It was it was right there, absolutely right there for Philadelphia to get to the finals. Now, were they beating Denver? Probably not. You know, Jokic was on a mission. Denver, you know, Murray and Jokic were just unstoppable. They sixteen to four in the playoffs. The, the right, you know, the right team won the championship last year. But at least they should have made. They probably should. Philadelphia probably should have made the finals. If James Harden is just five percent better, not even vintage James Harden going back to his Houston days when the, you when, you know when he led him to the Western Conference Finals and he was a when he was a perennial top five MVP candidate, a uh, top three MVP candidate for like four or five years. Not forget about that James Harden, but even a James Harden that would have been five percent better, would could have got the shit, that team should have got to the finals. So again, I can't think of a player even even Russell Westbrook. Got his shit together with with the Clippers last year. He got to play, you know, with the he was with the Clippers. He's like, all right, I'm a six man. This is my role. He played well in the playoffs. I, again, I know, you know, minus Kawhi Leonard, and we know the situation with Paul George. We understand it. I, I get it. But you talk to the Clipper, you talk to the Clipper people this year. Are you hear from Clip? Read about you read about the Clippers and the attitude. Everybody likes Westbrook. Every, no one says anything bad about Westbrook. On the Clippers right now, Ty, even Ty Lewis sold, is sold on Westbrook. They, the, the Sixers, for the most part, they can't stand James Harden. Nobody is coming out here. No, you don't hear anybody in Philadelphia coming out saying, "Well, we wish we still, we still we wish we still had James." No, and no one, no, he has no allies whatsoever. And there's a reason for this. It, it, he he it cannot get out of his own way. Again, if you're the Clippers. The Sixers it was an absolute no-brainer. I don't I, I if I'm the Clippers, I wouldn't have made this move. I'm sorry. Because the, the bottom line is you, you people could talk about that shit about, well, you know, Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard, they need another, need another ball handler, and they're always low in assists in terms of uh, you know, ranking bottom and half in terms of assists and playmaking. Yeah, sure. That all sounds sounds great. The bottom line is, Paul. If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard don't stay, can't stay healthy, it doesn't matter. Their success is predicated on those two guys, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, staying healthy. Period. Point blank. That's it. And again, you're bringing Harden. It's like they're only how many cultures could handle Harden right now? When you think about it, how many coaches? The Heat, maybe the Lakers with LeBron, maybe. Um, I don't think Milwaukee could handle Harden because I, I think Giannis would choke him. Like I, Giannis wouldn't tolerate that shit. Like I, I don't. There's I don't. I, you have to have a special type of culture to deal with a James Harden. You have to be what you know Golden State was. You have to be what San Antonio was back in the Tim Duncan heyday with, with Popovich and Genovia and all them. You have to have a special type of culture to deal with this guy. Like and, and they're just not out there in the NBA. They're just not they're right now. They're just not because it's such a player dominated league. And these owners, these owners and organizations have done horrible jobs at constructing their front offices. That's why you see coaches getting fired left and right. So the coaches are not strong. The foundations of these cultures and these and these organizations are just not strong. Like they like, like there's more toxic cultures than there are solid found solid co- co- solid cultures or cores. Denver, I don't even think Denver as strong as Denver's culture is. I don't think they would want even they wouldn't even deal with them. They don't need them, but even if they could use them, they'd be like, "Nah, we good. We'll take, we'll sacrifice talent for character and, and, and character and, and also intangibles. We're good." 
We're good. So, I uh, if I were the Clippers again, the Clippers, mind you, keep this in mind about the Clippers. They are in, they are in absolute win now mode. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and both Paul George will be free agents. Could be end up free, can opt out of their deals, and they're gonna be looking for big money in the summer of twenty twenty four. So the Clippers' futures are the Clippers' future. Who knows? I mean, the Clippers. That's why I said those picks, those twenty, the twenty six and twenty eight picks that are unprotected. Those are valuable assets for the seventy sixes. Extremely valuable access because the Clippers. This thing could blow up after this year easily. There's a scenario where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are not on the Clippers next this this time next year. That that scenario does exist. And again, I'm looking. I mean, look at James Harden's last five four seasons. Look at the Clippers' last five four seasons. None of them, none of them have ended with an NBA Finals appearance, let alone a championship. Even an NBA Finals appearance. Clippers at have made have been in the Western Conference Finals twice uh, in 21. No, once. I'm sorry, once in 21, and then of of, of a few conference about two conference semifinals appearances and a, a missed playoffs and in our first round exit. And again, I gave you James Harden's last five postseasons. He's only been in conference finals once in the last five years. Once. So, I'm glad. Listen, if you're the Sixers again, it just you get this out the way. It doesn't become a distraction. They he hasn't he didn't even step on the floor this year. They sent them home last uh before they on Saturday or Friday before they were about to play, schedule to play Toronto. They play, they beat Toronto this weekend. I watched that game on Saturday. Uh, so they don't even have to deal with this black cloud anymore. Just yeah, you off the team. We don't we're not talking about it anymore. Don't need to ask any more questions. Go ask Tyron Lue and he's a Clipper now. Go ask you know, L A. He belongs to L A. Times. So we, they don't, you don't even have to deal with this distraction. It's not even a distraction anymore. We, move, we got Tyrese Maxey. We're moving forward. We're going to go, you know, go about our, you know, keep it moving. And again, the Clippers, you will be answering questions about James Harden for the entire season. And again, he can come out and play great for a month, but we know what happens in the playoffs. And again, we know what happens. This is such a combustible situation between with the Clippers and James Harden. It is. It is, it is, we, you know how this is going to end. We know how, how this is going to turn out. We know it. We are, we already know what the results. We don't have to watch. I just, I'm just going to watch to be entertained because I know how this movie ends miserably. Stock up, stock down. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars have, uh, are playing great football right now, playing as well as anybody in the, in the league. They're not, I don't consider them, uh, I don't think Jacksonville can get to the Super Bowl, but they are they are finding ways to win. Excellent win over Pittsburgh. They have beat some quality teams that uh with beating Pittsburgh and beating Buffalo. Uh this Pittsburgh win is a nice win on the road. I know Kenny Pickett didn't play, but there's no big difference big difference between Mitchell Mitch uh Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. They're at this stage in the career, they're in their respective careers. Pickett hasn't developed to that level yet. So Jacksonville, obviously keep your eye on them. They're tough physical team uh, that finds ways to win. They don't have a high point differential for a team that's four games over 500. I think it's only like 38 points. So they're, they're winning close games. And every year you'll see a team that'll win a number of one-score games. That, those things tend to balance out over the course of, uh, you know, from, from year to year. So it seems like this – and again, these are not fluky wins, but I'm just saying, they're saying that they are – they're not, they're not you know, running away with, from anybody. They're just finding – 
finding ways to win, playing solid football for the most part. Uh, you know, I, I'm anybody listening to his podcast knows I'm a big Trevor Lawrence fan. He hasn't he's been good this year. He hasn't been great, but he's still to be a franchise caliber quarterback. Uh, that whose best days are 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 only ahead of him. Uh, so as far as stock down, the Washington Commanders defense. And I, I put this up before they even made the trades, and then I, it made even more sense. After they make after they made their trades, the defense has been. And I'll deal with the trades later on. The defense has been awful this year. It's been flat out just dreadful. The defense was supposed to be the calling card of the team. They had a top three defense as far as yardage goes. They had a top ten, top round, top seven, eight defense as far as points allowed goes. They their defense played great last year. They they, they really did, especially down the stretch. Their defense this year has been bottom. Of, this has just been abysmal. And I frankly, I don't, I don't see how Jack Jack Del Rio keeps his job past this year. To be honest with you, like I, I mean, I mean, you know, Ron Rivera could be out as well. Like so that they could be, and we could be in for some mass changes in the DMV for the Commanders. But that defense has been just been putrid. And listen, coming into this year, we knew what the issues were: offensive line, developing a young quarterback. The offensive line has not been good, but it hasn't been, you know. They have the Dolphins line hasn't been good. It hasn't been good. And Sam, but Sam Howell actually has been much better than I ever thought he was going to be. I mean, he's been he's actually played relatively well. He had yeah he had a horrible game with Buffalo. Uh, we understand that, but he played two very good games against Philadelphia. And that's a tough defense and, and a veteran team. So I. Uh, you can't just point the fingers at the offense. It could be better. We know we understand this. They're only averaging like twenty-one points a game, which is not enough in today's NFL. But their defense has been—I mean, their defense has been hard to watch. And there's no way their defense should be that 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 poor with the amount, with the amount of talent they have, especially on that defensive line. It, it just should not happen. Oh, I'm gonna wrap it up with some some real thoughts. Um, a couple of trades. Uh, so Montez Sweat and and. Chase Young are traded. Montez Sweat goes to Chicago, which I don't. I don't know what the hell Chicago is doing. Like I don't. I don't know why Chicago. Like you, I don't know what Chicago's logic is. Uh, for, for I mean, Sweat is a very good player, but I, it's not like they're Montez Sweat away from competing. Like Chicago is an awful team, but they trade for him anyway. Uh, the more important, the more important move to me was Chase Young going to San Francisco because. Again, Chase Young has had a hard time staying on the field. He clearly, you know, remember he was the number two pick a couple of years back. He, had, we know, uh, we know that he has not lived up to that. He just hasn't been on stay on the field. But again, I mentioned earlier on when I was talking about the, the Sixers and, and James Harden about cultures. San Francisco has a a top culture. They have great coaching. They have, especially on the defensive end. He, I, I think this is an absolute steal for San Francisco. Um. You add him to a already top top tier defense, and I think he's going to flourish. I really, I really think that this is going to, if he can stay healthy, can, is going to rejuvenate his career. And I, I just see him just, I can see him being dominant with this San Francisco defense because they have so many guys that you have to pay attention to that he's going to get a lot of one on one coverage. He's going to get uh, like he should be able to, if he can't flourish in San Francisco, then, you know, his career might be over. Like, he can't be able to, he'll be able, he'll be able to play anywhere. You can't play in, in this system. It's a defensive-friendly system. It's a pass-rush-friendly system. If you cannot make it in this system, then I don't know what his career looks like moving forward. This is a perfect place for him to get traded. He couldn't ask for a better place 
to get moved to in, in that franchise with that defense and with their philosophies and how they play. So, and by, by the way, you know, third round pick for San Francisco, it's worth the risk. You're trying to win a Super Bowl. You need, you can't, you can never have enough pass rushers, pass rushers in the NFL. We understand that. Uh, Buffalo gets Rasul Douglas, I think, which is necessary. Their defense, of course, is, is, has a litany of injuries, uh, picking him up. And we've seen him have some big years with Green Bay. Especially a couple of years ago, we played at, when he played at a near all pro level. So he's a very good player, smart player. Will, will immensely help that, uh, help their secondary. But I, I actually was surprised that more teams, did not make moves, to be honest with you. I expected the Dolphins to make a move. I expected Kansas City to make a move. Uh, Minnesota gets Joshua Dobbs. Uh, that's, of course, that's out of pure desperation. Um, Kirk Cousins is going to be probably is going to be probably out for the season with the uh, Achilles. With the Achilles injury, which is a horrible break for them, considering they've won three straight games and, and even the record of four and four. And who knows? I mean, Detroit could fall apart and they could be possibly had a chance to take that division. But now uh, they're going to be up against it without Kirk Cousins, who's having a, you know, having a very good season. You know, Kurt, listen, it doesn't impact winning at the rate that his, at, at the clip in terms of his numbers. But Kurt can put up those numbers. I'll tell you that. Kirk Cousins, he can put up some numbers. Like, he, like you're going to look up, Kurt going to have, you know, 30 touchdowns, you know, 12 but you know, fourteen, fifteen interceptions and a bunch of turn and a bunch of fumbles as well. So it comes those those and a bunch of yards, but those numbers come with a price. We all know that we all know Kirk Cousins has a ceiling. Uh ceiling. You're only gonna go only gonna go so far with him. But he does put up numbers. He does. He, he put he, he's good for your fantasy team. But uh Minnesota's not going anywhere with Joshua Dobbs at the helm. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I will see you next time. Again, we will have a podcast coming out next week. Of course, Snowfall Season 3 Episode. No, I'm actually ahead. It, yes, Season 3 Episode 1 will be coming out. We just dropped Season 2 Episode 10 Education, which was the series, the Season 2 finale. So next week you will uh, hear uh, Season 3 Episode uh, 1 to protect for. Have a great, great rest of your evening. Have a safe Halloween uh, night out there. So long.